0: Hello, I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. Today, we are acknowledging the American in our name by celebrating the 10 nonprofit companies across the country to have received the wing's $10,000 National Theatre Company grants for emerging theaters this year. All the companies have been in existence between five and 15 years, and each has made a substantial contribution to theater in their hometowns. And those towns stretch from coast to coast, from Philadelphia and New York on the east, to Fayetteville, Austin, Denver, and Albuquerque in the middle, to San Diego, and the Watts District in Los Angeles. These particular companies were chosen for their courage, creativity, and inspiring programs.
1: All of these companies, as diversified as they were, they had one thing in common, and they all just wanted to enlighten as well as entertain. And that's what great theater is. Good theater is, is always theater that's relevant and challenges us you know, to go beyond our comfort zones. And if it's good, it's the kind of theater that transforms our lives for the better.
0: I am delighted that all of the recipients are joining us today to discuss the unique work they do. Representatives of theaters that have a community-driven mission now join us. Dennis Gromelski from Fusion in Albuquerque, New Mexico.
2: Over the course of the last 10 years that we have found is, is primary to what we do it is uh, fusing together um, in a community that didn't have professional theater before, period. We are it, uh, the only producing uh, equity theater in New Mexico. And as we've had our blinders on and really gone to forward with that mission, um, everything else in the community has come along.
0: Timo Sueco of the Mo'Alelo Performing Arts Company in San Diego, California.
3: If we can collectively work with small and mid-sized companies that are innovating the field, the large companies that are the flagship companies in our respective states uh, might be facing some challenges, as well as the national funders, and get together and as equal partners, all of us, to be able to come up with the national solutions that will advance the field.
0: Rachel May from Synchronicity Theater in Atlanta, Georgia.
4: We're dedicated to empowering women and girls through the work that we do. And we're dedicated to activating the community by doing great theater that inspires people to go back into their communities and enact social change
0: and David Mack from Watts Village Theatre Company in Los Angeles.
5: One of our challenges has been to respond to the unique needs of this community. The Watts community in Los Angeles, a predominantly Latino and African-American community, we need to bring theater to them, to the streets. And so that's what we strive to do, Brings theater back to the streets where it really started. We believe that's the future for our community.
0: Welcome. Thank you. So, Dennis, You're the only professional theater in the entire state in terms of community.
2: Yeah, uh, our community is really um, uh, about our our artistic community. Um, And uh, we're the only producing equity theater company in the state. And because of that, we take, uh, uh, we find it our responsibility to be uh, and serve as the regional theatre community as other bigger theatre companies do around the country and, uh, and bring everything that that means to our local community. Um, and very specifically and very importantly it's been uh, a function of who we are since the beginning um, as uh, an outlet and a home for the professional artists and everything that that means, uh, uh, specifically uh, paycheck and health insurance and, and, and actually quite honestly a a place to, uh, a place to play Uh, If you don't, if you're a professional actor and you don't have um, any outlets, uh, it's a bit of a problem um, for those who love to, uh, to live in the area and yet don't have any outlets.
0: That's great. Seema, I hope I
2: did okay on the, on the title.
3: I'm yeah. so impressed that you could <laughs> say Mo'olelo. <laughs> and my last name, Sueco. I'm very impressed.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Tell us about the company.
3: Sure, uh, Mo'olelo Performing Arts Company is a community-focused, socially conscious, equity theater company. Uh, we were founded in 2004 in San Diego, and um, we currently do three shows a year, and those plays are selected with um, Two main criteria one is they must have significant roles for actors of color The other is that they must offer the opportunity for us to outreach to communities that don't traditionally attend the theater so then with each show we then spend six to 18 months prior to production doing what we call a consensus organizing for theater process, which is um, doing the community outreach work to build stakeholders in each production and then try to serve um, the communities, the target communities in a variety of ways, making the production sort of the the central component of it. And then alongside with that, we are um, a green theater company as well. We created green theater categories and guidelines and the green theater choices toolkit. uh, And that has since been used by theater companies from Australia to Belgium and some Broadway professionals as well. Um, so that's just a little bit about Mo'olelo. That's great. Thanks. Rachel,
0: Synchronicity Atlanta.
4: Well, we actually have a lot of synchronicity with <laughs> yes. Mo'olelo. Um, Mo'olelo. Uh, we are uh, coming into our 14th season, and we're a theater that works to use great theater to activate the community towards social action. So uh, we produce plays and build partnerships around those plays in order to help. Um, to help the community, uh, to help people in the community know ba- how to go back into their own spaces and make change. So um, we produce. Uh, our Bold Voices series, which is plays often by female playwrights. We have a really strong mission to also raise up and empower the voices of women and girls. And um, so we produce those plays. Usually plays, I I don't like issue plays, but um, we do try to do work that has really meaty ideas and often strong themes for women and so that we want our audience to walk away with lots of things to talk about. And we have a family series where we do plays based on books for children and families. And we try to do really great theater that happens to work for kids and families. We don't want to do children's theater. Um, So we try not to do it. There's a lot we're trying not to do because we (laughs) want to do really good theater. Um, And we also have a program that sprung out of a play eight years ago called um, called Playmaking for Girls, where we go into detention centers and work with teenage girls who are incarcerated and um, help them write plays and perform plays about their lives. Um, so that's and the,
0: the company was started by women, yes?
4: Started by four women. I'm one of the founders, um, and uh, the other ones have all moved off into other projects. Um, but yeah, we have a really strong commitment to raising up women's voices. So often, our uh, a lot of our designers are women. One of my favorite stories is in tech, you know, with a whole bunch of female designers, uh, I said, I'm going to Home Depot, what do we need? And uh, from like six places in the room, everyone said, chocolate! <laughs> and so yeah. I think, you know you're in synchronicity when that's needed from Home Depot because of all the women in... Complete
3: synchronicity. That's right, yeah. that's right. <laughs>
4: Excellent.
0: David Watts. Yes,
5: Watts Village Theatre Company. We're the only show in Watts, <laughs> so we're the only professional independent theatre company in Watts. We've been around for 15 years. Uh, we were developed actually out of a residency from Cornerstone Theatre Company. I noticed that. Um, and we were co-founded by Lynn Manning, a poet who's still with us, a playwright as well, and uh, Quentin Drew, who is our founding artistic director who actually passed away um, around six years ago. And so for 15 years, we've been doing all original work. Uh, Contemporary social issues is what we focus on in the Watts community. This is an underserved, predominantly African-American and Latino community. It's actually now over 80% Latino. Um, And so since there's not yet any permanent theater or professional theater space in Watts. We're nomadic, <laughs> so we uh, perform everywhere. Uh, we perform on the streets, in well, the parks. I uh, noticed
0: Meet Me at Metro.
5: Yes, and we perform on and around the Metro. Our signature show is uh, Meet Me at Metro. We do it uh, annually. Uh, we just finished our second show, Meet Me at Metro too. And so what we do is we take the audience on the train, and you get off the train station, and there's a theater company doing a show. And you get back on the train, you go to the next station, you get off, there's another theater company doing a show. And uh, we collaborate with seven different theater companies throughout Los Angeles uh, and actually New York as well. And uh, we're open to other theater companies around the country, but each of them do like a 10 minute piece uh, all the way
0: down the line. What a cool idea, especially in a town that at least a lot of people on the East Coast don't even realize there is a Metro in Los Angeles.
5: (laughs) It's not used very widely. uh, People in Los Angeles love their cars. I also wanted to ask about black words on white paper. Uh, Black Words on White Pages. Pages. Yes, yes. Um, And that's our signature playwriting series. Uh, That started in 2006. We also do that annually. So it's a new work. We will commission a playwright uh, from an underserved community uh, that has not been able to get their work published. And we will provide for them a director, a stage manager, and uh, actors and a place to perform their work. Mm. And so they will be able to write a piece about a certain social issue happening in the community and we will develop that work for them and do a professional stage reading of it. And then if uh, we get good feedback and if we get success from the stage reading based on the feedback from our community, uh, then we'll go ahead and we'll uh, turn that into a main stage production for them.
0: And and I assume that all of you like the idea of new work and do a certain amount of new work, but how uh, how does that fit into the the overall scheme, Seema?
3: Uh, we have commissioned a number of new plays. Um, in our seven-year history, there are actually three new works that were created. Our very first play, a play called Remains, dealt with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and has since been done uh, in Minnesota and in San Francisco by other companies. Um, we commissioned a play about adoption back in uh, 2005 by Kimberly, and we, where, which was involved um, interviews with people connected to the issues of adoption and then produced that in 2007. So it was a long two-year incubation period And then, most recently, we've commissioned a play called *Sila*, which looks at the intersections of race, class, and uh, the environment, and climate change, written by Chantal Bilodeau. And that has gone through a two-year development process, and it involves puppetry and projections, and a number of other things, so um, we're hoping to get some more funding to continue developing that piece of work.
0: And did your theater do Stick Fly?
3: We did, yes, just this past February, March, which was, you know, fantastic to do, and it's wonderful to see that it's about to open on Broadway, how exciting.
0: The yes. fact that when I asked you about the plays, you didn't bring it up, I had to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. I think there, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a general sense that, that theaters across the country long for New York or want plays to come to New mm-hmm. York, um, but also so much of the vitality is in, is in the community. So I think that's great.
4: Well, you know, one of the ways we've been doing new work is, is with companies more of, of this size where we've been doing rolling or joint world premieres. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done one a year for the past five years where we have a play we love and we reach out to two or three other theaters around the country and say, hey, do you guys want to do this too? And we all do it within a year and we all get the world premiere status for the play. So we really help launch the playwright right in the play and we're able to all get world premieres, you know? So it, it's, it's actually taking it away from the New York model a little bit and sort of taking it into our own hands, I think, which has been a great way for us to build partnerships with other theaters around the country and help raise national profile for what we're doing. Um, so that's, you know, Excellent. I, I was like, I want to see some of this yeah. you're working on so that we can, you <laughs> yeah, know, definitely. I'd love to talk about
2: that. We've taken, um, with the uh, original play route, we've taken the, uh, we have a short works festival called The Seven, which is now, will be in its seventh year, and, um, By short works, you know, we say try to limit it to 10, 11 pages, not necessarily 10 minutes, and you know what that means. (laughs) Um, uh, So over the course of the last uh, seven years, we've um, really been able to create some terrific relationships with playwrights, um, where we're then identifying and taking the next step, getting into uh, play readings, and actually... Um, I was just saying a little bit earlier, we have to be very careful how we balance with our uh, theater-going community in our town. Um, acting as a regional theater company, you know, we we do bring the premieres lo- regionally of Red and uh, and Doubt in August, Osage County, and plays like that. Um, but we're also able to. To, as a result of this relationship with these playwrights, um, our uh, a two-time winner actually of the festival, we are uh, world premiering a piece, uh, soon-to-be classic holiday piece called uh, "You Can't Get a Decent Margarita at the North Pole," mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and and we're opening that in December. And so uh, we've it's been a really wonderful process because, as you know, throwing original work at uh, at a local audience that might be expecting something else is is always the big challenge of balancing that art and commerce. And uh, and and I think we're at the point now where um, our, our model really will be towards uh, producing a lot more new uh, original work.
4: You should do a double bill with Kafka on ice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And right? margaritas on <laughs> ice. <skating. laughs> Hasn't
0: your company become the sort of linchpin of an art center in downtown Albuquerque?
2: Yeah. What were, um, I also, uh, like everyone else, we were a lot of different hats. Um, I also serve as the, um, uh, New Mexico has six arts and cultural districts and I serve as downtown Albuquerque's uh, as the manager of that arts and cultural district. And uh, it's actually a state program developed through uh, state uh, tourism and the economic Mm. development um, uh, program in the state. And uh, we're identifying, you know, the big catchphrases, innovation, collaboration, and mm-hmm. placemaking, as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you always see, you always know what grants coming up by who's <laughs> <That's> <laughs> saying right. those words most the often. The new normal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're actually, uh, our theater we moved into, it's an old 19, uh, 1910 Uh, actually predates New Mexico by two years Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, an old night the phone number and book that we found in the uh, in the old it's a fruit and vegetable warehouse uh, next to the train tracks uh, the phone number that we saw in a picture that said number 279 (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. so, <laughs> the Wild West you know <laughs> <Copicberry>. <laughs> um, and in our area we were the first to uh, kind of move in and, and call it home it's just uh, a couple blocks off of the main part of downtown and all of a sudden that's rolling and becoming uh, the warehouse arts district and um, uh, importantly our our uh, what we do there, our mission has been a big part of that. You mm-hmm. know, we're getting the infill with restaurants and uh, all of a sudden developers are getting mm-hmm. uh, interested in um, having loft spaces. And um, uh, we know what can happen to parts of town uh, when that starts to happen as well, within five years, all of a sudden the artists are gone, but uh, but we're taking very important to get there. steps as well to, uh, to see what we can do about really um, keeping it a place, uh, you know, it's place making, it's where mm-hmm. things are made you know and albuquerque is um wonderfully notorious for a place uh, where things get done.
5: Mm. We're, we're similar as well in that vein, um, working with non-arts partners as well as other arts collaborators in the community. Because Los Angeles, of course, has many theaters. They actually, technically, there's more small theater companies in Los Angeles than there are in New York City. Uh, but- uh, Tell the movie business that. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. But um, in the Watts community, uh, we are actually the only one out there, and a lot of that Uh, culture has not been able to connect, even though the people of Watts are very culturally rich. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is uh, we've reached out to the politicians, and there's actually a supervisor, Supervisor Margaret Lee Thomas, um, who runs the 2nd District, which is our district area, and he has an empowerment congress. And we were actually able to serve on the Arts and Culture Committee, which was just formed as part of that empowerment congress. So it's about working with uh, the politicians and working with other community leaders mm-hmm. to help bring arts to, to our community.
0: And are you also in, in, in the forefront of the Latino and African-American community working together?
5: Yes, and they work together all the time, and they work together really well. One of our partners is the Watch Century Latino Organization, which is one of the biggest nonprofits in Watts. Um, but there has been a shift. Uh, about 20 years ago, Watts was predominantly African American community, and it has been becoming very rapidly predominantly Latino community. And the gangs, and there's a lot of crime that has been uh, plaguing that community. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there is a lot of what you see in the media will be the conflict between the latino and african-american communities but what we like to focus on is how they work together mm-hmm. and how they produce beautiful work and beautiful communities mm-hmm.
0: and it also sounds like atlanta which is a very a very varied community mm-hmm. but that you, you 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 are sort of cut across a lot of a lot of sections we
4: do and again it depends on sort of what our programming is um, you, you asked a new works question and a couple of years ago we did a project called women in war And we interviewed almost 50 women whose lives had been impacted by war um, all in the Atlanta area. And we built a piece around those stories. And what we did was partner with the refugee community, which is huge there. Um, So we had Somali women and Sudanese women and women who had been soldiers in Iraq, American soldiers in Iraq. I mean, just an incredible, and these two twin women who had been uh, missionaries in the Congo. And so, um, so, so yeah, so we really reached into a number of communities through that and, and we, in a similar way as, yeah. as you guys were doing a lot of these partnerships that we try to bring forward over time because you don't want to just sort of get together with a community and then never go back to them. So we've done a number of projects that have intersected with the veteran community and with um, the military community and with uh, the juvenile detention facilities and that whole community so we have a number of relationships with different groups that we're continuing to nurture as we and we really think about that as we pick our plays what's the next part of that conversation that we can have so that we're continuing to you know to engage in the conversation and see what we can do to help change
0: and also how about within the artistic community of Atlanta
4: we we have um we believe a lot in nurturing new artists who are coming up into the community so we have a very strong um, intern program they tend to be young women although we have a really great young male intern right now <laughs> who's <laughs> strong and and brave to be with us <laughs> um, mm-hmm. like he's chocolate. okay with a lot of estrogen <laughs> in the room you know? um, but so we really try to bring up new artists um, and teach them in a very positive way we try to have very little chaos and really respect and nurture all of the artists and the people that we work with and Atlanta is a very sort of free market in terms of artists because it's a right-to-work state in Georgia so the whole equity, non-equity, professional, non-professional dynamic is very different. Um, So we we have a tremendous group, group of artists and it's a very collaborative community. All the theaters work really well together.
0: And, S- and Seema, S- San Diego has an extraordinary collection of artistic institutions. How do you, do you f- fit in with them well?
3: Yeah, definitely. So I think we're, uh, San Diego's best well known for the major Lort theaters in our co- in our region. Um, the Old Globe and La Jolla Playhouse, and of course, of course San Diego Rep. And uh, we all do play well together. Um, La Jolla Playhouse started a program a few years ago called their um, Resident Theater Company Program. And Mo'olelo was the inaugural resident theater company at La Jolla Playhouse essentially they give a residency for a year long to a company that had been um, previously nomadic or gypsy, as we would like to say. And then we've also um, produced work at Mo'olelo that has then gone on to uh, the stage at the Old Globe. In 2006, we did a play called Since Africa, working with the refugee mm-hmm. communities. And uh, it did really well. It sold out before we opened, and it got the attention of uh, folks at the Old Globe. They uh, decided to produce it in 2009 and then hired me to direct it there. So there's a lot of learning across um, across the, the, the scope and the ecology of theaters in San Diego.
0: Theater is nothing if not collaborative. Anyway, thank you guys. This is great.
3: Thank you, thank you very much. much. Back to talk
0: a little more in a moment from theater companies that are ensemble based, creating their own works. Samantha Schmitz from Bunport Theater Company in Denver, Colorado.
1: Our greatest challenge is trying to thrive in Denver, trying to be relevant and vital in our community and do work that challenges our audience and ourselves
0: Dito Van Ragersberg so, uh, from Pig Iron Theater Company in Philadelphia, to say, Pennsylvania.
6: I, I toast the, both the fleet of footness of an actor who has to get it right the first time and uh, the desire, the ability to go deep and think about profound things and take that moment, that Hawaiian moment, I forget what it's called. O-kina. The okina <laughs> that is so important that the theater allows us to do
0: and Thomas Graves of Rude Mechanicals, located in Austin, Texas. Uh,
6: We're lucky to be in Austin
7: uh, and have an audience that wants to participate in the creation of a play, that that knows it isn't finished until they show up uh, and bring their own associations and dreams to the piece, an audience that holds us accountable with honesty, but never dismissiveness.
0: Welcome, everyone. Um, I think this would be a great opportunity to explain a little bit about your theater company since I think a lot of people who watch these programs may not know each one of your companies. So ladies first, Sam, (laughs) tell us about Bunport.
1: Bunport is an ensemble based company in Denver, Colorado and we work collaboratively from conception to production. There are six collaborators in our main company and we, from idea to show, The six of us work together, fighting it out to figure out what we will produce and put on stage for our audiences to see.
0: And and what kinds of shows do you do?
1: We do um, a lot of adaptations of works and biographies. The show that we have coming up is a remount called Kafka on Ice, and it is a retelling, a kind of dreamy retelling of Franz Kafka's life using the metamorphosis as a base story performed on synthetic ice in our warehouse so we have a theater that we have transformed into or a warehouse that we transformed into a black box theater and we put some plastic ice together and actually ice skate on it with some giant cockroaches and <laughs> telling of Kafka's life.
0: So truth in advertising. Exactly. Kafka on Kafka ice. On ice. We didn't want to,
1: we, we're not lying. <laughs> <laughs> on ice.
0: <laughs> and, and Denver is a fairly enlightened theater town. How do you fit into the Denver scene?
1: Denver is a great theater town. There are not a ton of people doing all original works in Denver, so we fill that niche. Um, we're not as as experimental as some other theaters. So we're, we are original, but we're not like ex- what people would call experimental theater, so you can come and see a work of fiction turned into a play or a biography turned into a play.
0: Great. Now now, Thomas, Rude Mechanicals, Austin, Texas. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> um, explain what uh, what Rude Mechanicals
7: is all about and
0: why Texas is home
7: to it. Yes, we have a lot in common with Buntport. Uh, we are a uh, theater collective. We've been around for 15 years. We have six uh, co-producing artistic directors um, and uh, create new works for the stage uh, collaboratively. Uh, so we devise them from scratch. Uh, and we present about one show a year. Uh, Austin, Texas is a great home for us. Uh, there's a lot of new work being made in Austin. Um, so we feel right at home there.
0: I did <laughs> notice that one of the shows you had done was a, was a revival of the Dionysus in 69, a rather shocking show in its time. How did Austin take to that?
7: Uh, we did Dionysus in 69 last December, um, which is a recreation of the performance uh, group's uh, production in 1968. Um, it was very well received by austin audiences um, there is uh, a lot of nudity in the show and a lot of uh... audience participation uh... sometimes happening at the same time and um, and austin austin totally you know jumped right in and uh... went along with it and it was a lot of fun and uh, Austin it is a
0: college town university of texas right is that part of why you get away with nudity Do you think
7: or <laughs> austin is a yes it's a college town it's a very affordable town so it's uh... It was a great town to start a theater company in because it allowed us to, um, you know, to make work and make a living doing it. Um, and it's also a music town, so people understand the idea of getting together. Uh, you know, a lot of people have bands, so the idea of coming together and everybody, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to write this song or, you know, oh, let's try this thing. So the idea of collaboratively devising something isn't new to Austin. Um, and, uh, and they really like weird stuff, and so our, <laughs> our, our stuff goes over pretty well. And how did you all start? Um, I was not there at the inception. Uh, the, uh, the Rude Mechs grew out of a, uh, a, a group of people that went to a summer program uh, doing Shakespeare. It's called Shakespeare at Weindale, And they go out into the country um, and put on Shakespeare plays. Uh, and so there were um, several company members uh, started out there and decided to move to New York. Uh, and it was just they couldn't make a living here uh and it was too hard so they moved back to Austin and and started the RudMex.
0: That's great Dito. Tell us about Pig Iron in Philadelphia?
6: Pig Iron. Well, we are also about 15 years old. We um we came out of college all together. We all went to Swarthmore College and um we also took a detour to New York. Found it a little bit too difficult <laughs> um financially and and then um Around the time that that uh, Philadelphia um, Live Arts and Fringe Festival uh, came up, um, so it's a it's a great festival that happens every September in in our city. Um, we <coughs> all decided to move to Philadelphia, and it was kind of a beautiful um, harmonic convergence of of things that we wanted to have happen: um, unusual approaches to theater, <coughs> unusual um, unusual audience. Performer relationships on, uh, you know, sort of theater that that moves around the space and stuff um, that that the festival really encouraged um, We were also really interested in so that was kind of a beautiful um, Takeoff and and uh, Philadelphia also has a great um, Number of foundations that support theater, so we've we've been lucky. Do you have a home or do you move around? We used to just have an office (laughs) and uh, just this year we moved we started a school Called the Pig Iron Theater for uh, Pig Iron School for Advanced Performance Training or APT, and that uh, allowed us to get a space that is mainly the the big studio classroom of the of the school, but now we can also rehearse there. We rehearsed our first play ever in our own home uh, this summer, and the offices are just upstairs on the second floor.
0: And because. Philadelphia does have a fair amount of arts, music and theater. How how did, how did you find
6: an audience? I think a, a big part of it was was this connection with the festival and, and finding audiences that were a little bit more daring. Um, and now f- we have a sort of proven track record so people come to see our stuff. And um, we're not about quantity. We can't offer like eight shows a year, but we can offer a new show every year that's completely from scratch and we can offer shows from our repertory that we can revive. So um I think people I think people like the idea of seeing something kind of that feels handmade or hand stitched or touched by human hands. <laughs> I did
0: notice Chekhov Lizard Brain, a show that was new to me. What's that about? Is that one of your hits?
6: This will maybe explain our uh our process. Dan Rothenberg, who's one of the other artistic we have three artistic directors. Um he was reading um he was reading a book by Temple Grandin called Animals in Translation. We, and she is a very interesting woman. She, um, she's autistic, and, but she's high-functioning autistic to the point where, where she, she could actually read and, sorry, write a book. And she wrote this book about how she feels as an autistic person more connected to, to animals. And that she sort of has these theories about how her brain structure um, as an autistic person relates better to an, an animal's especially uh, a mammal like a cow. And she went on to um, design a lot of the slaughterhouses, actually, but humane slaughterhouses in in the United States. So that's on one side. And then I was really interested in working on Chekhov just as a challenge for us um, as a company. (laughs) We just kind of weirdly mashed those two ideas together. And interestingly, we started talking a lot about neuroscience and Chekhov. And we, um, something that really unlocked Chekhov for us, we did a whole week on, on the three sisters. And one thing that really kind of illuminated Chekhov for us was um, the idea of ambivalence. She talks about, um, Temple Grandin talks about how she doesn't understand what a love-hate relationship would be like, because she feels like her emotions are pretty pure. And we felt like, oh, well, in Chekhov, there's so much emotional ambivalence. There are people having emotions at the same time, so then we just tried this experiment of, of feeling two emotions at the same time, like what would it be like to feel sad and happy, like right bumping up against each other, really vibrating, and then suddenly that seemed to work in terms of, of, of a way to play Chekhov scenes because there's really a lot of intense situations happening right right up against each other. Anyway, long story short, uh, we, uh, we took um, those experiments with actually brain structures, uh, lizard brain, which is the lowest part of the brain, uh, the dog brain, which is the middle part, and the human brain, we started talking a lot and doing, making up weird um, exercises based on these three parts of the brain. And then we made this Chekhovian story about three brothers who sell their house. <laughs> and then Chekhov lizard brain was born. Does that sound <laughs> like a familiar process to either of you?
1: smashing things together
6: yes
1: (laughs) 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 bringing in um, we a lot of times the way that we work we conceive the set design at the same time that we're conceiving of the storyline so we have we have pieces that are uh, based on um, a show called my and this is my significant bother which is based on James Thurber short stories and the main set piece is a bed that transforms throughout the piece. There are, um, I think, eight short stories, and each time the bed transforms, and it goes from a a made bed in the first scene to a totally destroyed bed, and, and that is a court scene. The parts of the bed fold down, and there's a trap door, and all of this stuff happens, and then in the final scene, Throughout the show, the, the piece, the marriage is destroyed basically and through the short stories and in the final scene, the wife confronts her mistress and the bed is remade and the wife basically reclaims her husband. But it's the same, it's a kind of idea where you have an idea which is a bed and you have these stories about marriage and how can they come together in a way that makes sense if not just to us to everyone watching it as well <laughs> but there's a lot of mashups that happen in in collaboration because you are you're talking it's it's six people bringing together whatever they are reading about at that time and they're like ah oh, I really Moby Dick but what about this mm-hmm. and nobody's ever read Moby Dick and how can we get that across and stuff like that that happens so
0: do, do, do you have a hierarchy within an ensemble company, or is it it really democratic and everybody one man, one vote?
1: Ours is socialist. Ours is very much fight for for your vote. Like, we all either agree, or if we've been fighting it out for days, then we finally vote. And then we either live with it or come in the next day and are like, I still am not happy with that. We still have to keep (laughs) talking about it, because in the end, we as a, six, a group of six are responsible for everything that is seen. It's not, you can't blame a designer, you can't blame a director, you can't say I'm just an actor because you are, you are an integral part in it. So we have to agree at least on what the end product is. But.
7: And we decide everything by consensus. We use uh, consensus decision-making uh, both in our business um, Decisions and in the artistic decisions, so it's not even one person, one vote. It's that everyone has to come to a single agreement before we move forward.
0: Have anybody left the company in the in the history?
7: Yes, there have been people to leave. The company. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is, not, is not. It is easy. not easy at all, no. um, and uh, there's a lot of conflict. And and you know, we we certainly do fight in the rehearsal room, um, but I think it's a it's a really positive, a really positive thing. And. And great stuff, I think, ca- is generated through that tension and through that conflict. Um, you know, we were talking about the creative process. We have a similar creative process where we go on, away on artistic retreat, talk about what we're interested in, what we're passionate about, and and everybody brings something to the table, often very different things. And that's a similar thing where you've got some something A and something maybe uh, X, and you put them together, and it's the conflict there uh, that can create something uh, hopefully Unique and original.
0: And so what what are the challenges f- for the future?
7: Well, there's the perennial challenge of time and money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then I think another uh, challenge that theater uh, always faces is is audience building, uh, and how do we how do we engage with audiences uh, is in a time of you know the internet and uh, movies and things like that. Um, yeah, time and money are the big ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
6: mm-hmm. Uh, time and money, and how they how they go together. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I, I think we all would agree that our particular processes require more time because you're creating something that doesn't have a recipe. You're not making the you know the recipe out of the book. You're you're writing the book. So I mean, our process sometimes takes up to two years from the initial inception of an idea to something that you can actually show someone and prove that you haven't been wasting time. So, um, so, and actually it's been great to educate audiences about that in Philadelphia, about what what exactly we're up to when it's taking so long. They're like, why is there there's so much time between Pig Iron premieres? And I think um, to bring up the sense of quality, to bring up the sense of, um, we're really digging deep into this to make something that we really care about. Um, it's just going to take longer, and you have to be patient. And, and that requires more money and more um, work weeks with more actors and creators and designers. And,
0: um, Did you feel you have a loyal audience that will ultimately be patient and wait?
6: I do. I do. Yeah. I think they're, I mean, we've gotten to the, the year of the dog, as they call it. You know, theater companies are supposed to die at 15 like a dog someone told me once oh yeah and uh, <laughs> and uh, the fact that we're here and we're still changing you know changing the course but still doing our work I think it means that we've we've passed the, the danger point and where we have an audience
0: and Denver there's still enough people in Denver oh
1: we have a, an incredibly loyal audience we we, we We're entering our 11th season, and with our first season, we were, like I was saying, trying to make our space as vital as possible, so we were doing a biweekly sitcom, a written sitcom every other week about a book club, and so we have audience members who who saw that the first year and saw all 75 episodes of that sitcom over a six-year period and they they come still to see our full-length shows and our off-night programming and stuff and it's it's definitely like a family because they see the same five people every time on stage and they see me at the box office and running the show and stuff so they recognize us as well as us recognizing them there's not the same distance that there is sometimes in, in theater where you see people on stage and they're, th- they're not, appro- they're like movie stars or something where they're, they seem approachable in a different way. But our audience is, is like a family that keeps coming back. We keep, we keep getting them back in there. <laughs> but it's great, it's fabulous.
0: That's great, well listen, thank you very much. Um, good luck to all to all of you and we'll be back uh, with some, some more conversation representing companies that are more traditional producing organizations. Our guests are Bob Ford of Theater Squared from Fayetteville, Arkansas.
8: People dig live, intimate, and challenging work. Uh, Theater works and rocks. Um, We, our biggest challenge was, can uh, we do an equity professional theater from the get-go in a town of 72,000 people? And uh, yes, you
9: can.
0: PJ Powers from Timeline Theater in Chicago.
8: A
9: challenge as we go forward, um, as we are growing exponentially, is to find a way to reach more people with our work, but not lose who we are, to stay true to our mission, to stay true to perhaps what is most important about Timeline's work, which is a connection with our audience and a dialogue we have with our audience um, every night.
0: And Jack Cummings of the Transport Group right here in new york city
10: I think one of our biggest challenges has been to in the face of all that with the help of the community and and recognition like this is to just like keep going down your own path that you're meant to go down like no matter what and not you know if it happens it happens but it should happen organically and i think that's been one of our you know challenges
0: so jack as the
10: lone new yorker in the group (laughs) tell us a little bit about transport group uh... we are ten years old and we basically focus on uh, revivals and new plays uh, and new mu- mu- musicals as well and that deal with American life in the 20th and 21st century um, by American authors. And PJ, Timeline Chicago, again a rather r- robust
0: theater town.
9: It is, it is. Uh, it's a, a great theater town and, and we're we're proud to, to be sort of a, a emerging as a, a, a new leader for a, a new generation of Chicago theater companies. But uh, we're in our 15th season and Timeline does plays inspired by history that connect to social and political issues of today. So we do uh, new work, or we, we develop new work, and we also do, do classic um, text, and uh, try to find plays that really ignite a dialogue about how the past and present connect and, 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 and interconnect.
0: And, and you provide your audiences with, with surround material so that they're not just coming in and being told, this is a history play.
9: Yeah, we, we do. We, we really create uh, an immersive experience. In our lobby, we, we do sort of a, art installation in, in our lobby. We have a great, totally flexible space that we uh, reconfigure for, for every show. And once people walk through the door, we try to really transport them to the world or context or, or era uh, of that play. And we share a lot of our research w- with our audience. And where in Chicago are you? We're in East Lake Lakeview, um, which is uh just close to, to the lake, uh, just a, a couple miles north of, of downtown. So, suburb or still Chicago? Oh, no, still very much Chicago. Yes, very much Chicago.
0: And, and what history did you link with the History Boys, which wasn't that one of your big successes? Well,
9: it was, yeah. The, the History Boys was was sort of an interesting play for us because uh, I guess, uh, other than, than the title, it isn't a history play p- per se, but but really what Alan Bennett is, is getting at with that play is how history is made and how... Um, how different people and different perspectives can, can see a story in, in totally different ways and, and, and how, how history both on a small personal level and on a, a much larger political and social level gets made. And uh, so it was a, an interesting sort of departure from, from, uh, uh, fr- from our mission, but it, it was a, a wonderful experience.
0: That's great. Yeah. Bob Fayetteville, Arkansas, not known for its theater necessarily. Tell us about <laughs> not yet. Yeah, <laughs>
8: um, yeah. We we had, unlike um, New York and Chicago, we had the amazing good fortune of kind of inventing or you know deciding from a broad array of theater what we wanted to do, and uh, we have a wonderful uh, performing arts center that brings in Broadway shows. Um, so we do uh, contemporary theater, somewhat cutting edge, challenging theater, and then we, uh, we also have a new play festival which generates, um, usually generates a new script every year or so that we then put on our main stage, so we premiere work as well. And, and you, have, you have one successful one that w- was from a lo- with a local playwright? We do, uh, we have a, a couple really, but um, one, one that was kind of, st- Dunning for us was a play called Sundown Town that was uh, generated in our first new play festival. We commissioned it and um, we asked the playwright to use indigenous, bring in some of the indigenous music, country, um, folk, uh, uh, bluegrass music from the area and put a story to it. And the story he decided to put to it was that of the Sundown Laws, which were um, in effect Mm, late into the last century across a broad swath of the Mid-South you know the laws written or unwritten which said that if you're African-American get out of town by sundown and uh, he made a an amazing hard-hitting play out of it and the, the most amazing thing about it was that that play outsold anything else that had come before including plays like um every Christmas story ever told which
0: are huge hits for us so that was exciting. Do you feel that you take audiences from the Broadway series in Fayetteville or do you encourage new audiences?
8: Um, it's definitely a little of both. We
0: definitely have
8: people who who prefer what we do, wanna see what we do, we also um, know that we are benefiting by the that Broadway series, which is really right next door. We're kind of housed in the same theater complex. Um, so, uh, so it's a little of both. Do you try not to play it exactly at the same time? Or we, ne- that- we, yeah, we definitely do not want to open the same night
0: as Filler on the Roof. <laughs> um So yeah, we we dodge those. And and you have found a niche within the the, the New York world that you that you that you feel is yours.
10: Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think that we do. Um, I feel like when we when we attempt a revival, I do feel like we're we're doing. A revival of, of certain uh, certain plays that aren't n- necessarily uh, looked into that often you know our production of the boys in the band was only the third production in new york since its premiere in 68 and uh, we just did a revival of michael john lacuse's hello again and that was the first revival of that since its premiere in 93 so and then i feel with the new works um we're definitely exploring um if not the writer's su- subject matter, that would not necessarily be, I think, a uh, traditional fare. And you did a new musical last year, did you not, that got some, quite some note? Yes, we did a, a, a musical called Sea Rock City and Other Destinations by Brad Alexander and Adam Mathias, and um, it did, it, it got a lot of great attention, and uh, the book writer, Adam Mathias, won a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Book of a Musical
0: and is that a show that that you you encouraged or you found it out there floating around cuz
10: it had won a couple of awards right? it did it started out it actually the world premiere of that piece started at Barrington Stage Company in uh, in Pittsfield Massachusetts and uh, they had a, had a production there and then they had a grant from the Richard Rodgers Foundation which is a unique grant which gives a certain amount of money to actually a theater company to do either a workshop or a production Of that show and there's a timeline on it the authors don't find a theater to do their work in a certain amount of time they lose the grant and so um, they eventually came to us and we had to make a decision very quickly so we did a three-week workshop of it funded by the Richard Rogers Foundation and then it went so well a year later we decided to do the production
0: see the quicksilver nature of the theater in New York right right (laughs) we had
10: like uh, 10 days to decide whether to do it or not so (laughs) but I'm glad we did so, PJ, how, how how are you guys structured in, in Chicago?
9: Um, in in in, in well, what? you're
0: way? artistic director, right? Is it? And I'm, is I'm an artistic it director. Fairly traditionally structured. Uh, yeah, and
9: uh, our, our managing director, Elizabeth Aumann, uh, the, the the two of us um, are, are the, the heads of the organization. But we have a, a, a company of, of artists. We have seven timeline company members, and we work um, very collaboratively and democratically to pick all of the shows um, that that we. We produce. It's a, a somewhat unique model. We're not an acting ensemble um, per se, which is probably the most predominant model in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously with with Steppenwolf being the, the the big model, but um, many other companies have, have really focused on being acting ensembles. We're we're not that. We're we're mission based. We 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 talk about plays and ideas that that we want to to spark, and um, and then once we choose those plays, we we hire. Um, the best artists we can we can find to, to bring them to life. But but are there artists within the seven of you, or are you also sort the of management? Uh, yes, I mean some some of us are, are also um, artists by by trade. I I trained to be an actor. I still still do act uh, occasionally. But but when we get together to talk about the plays that we want to do, it isn't it isn't hey let's do a play so that you know you can play this part and you can play this part and you, you can direct. Um, th- those discussions are really secondary. We're we're getting together to talk about. Um, topics and themes and, and uh, stories that, that we want to tell. Did, did you have trepidation
0: entering the Chicago very full theater world, or were you pretty confident mm-hmm. that you had something special?
9: Um, yes and yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, Timeline was founded in 97 and uh, I'd been living there since 91 and uh, had, had gone to, to school there at DePaul University to, to train. And I guess having gotten out of school and started working as an actor um, with different companies, I, uh, I felt that a point of view and context was missing from a lot of the work that I was both seeing and, and doing. And, um, and the five others who, who started Timeline, um, I, I think were also feeling that. And that, that was really the impetus to, to first come together and the impetus to um, hatch this mission that was, was rooted in history was to, to find plays that, that really were rooted in a context and that uh, had a, a point of view, but from the outset, we we really had our eye on building a company that would have longevity, and that was bigger than than the sum of its parts. It was bigger than 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 those of us who were starting it and and running it. And Bob, with with Theater Square, do
0: you get out in the rest of the state? You have an obligation to to, to take it around and um, we is?
8: we do educationally. I, we we may or may not have that obligation, um, but we feel it. And there's a program that we have going where we go down, really it's five or six hours away, um, be like going down to Maryland or something, if you're in New York, um, to do a, a to bring um, playwriting and what it can, the power of creating plays to students, high school students, in what's called the Arkansas Delta region, which is you know, one of the more culturally bereft um, parts of the country, really. So, yeah, we, we've got stuff like that ongoing.
0: And where do you pull the actors from?
8: Uh, we start with our local talent um, and try to cast from there as much as possible. We, uh, When possible, when, it, when we feel that they're really the best for the role, we go to the MFA acting program at the university. And then depending on... Uh, I'm a playwright, so... I do direct, but don't do a lot of directing. We, we guest direct uh, uh, out of Chicago and New York. If the director's from Chicago, we were just talking about this. Um, we do casting in Chicago. Um, same thing in New York. So we get kind of a, a cross-pollination of sort of national actors, artistic pool, and local. And so it's, it's a great uh, kind of cross-pollination
0: that goes and on there. And how far do your the normal audience come from to get to the theater? Um, I can, we have uh,
8: about half of our audience of roughly 2,500 per show um, comes from Fayetteville, which is a town of about 72,000 people. The other half comes from our greater, I guess it's called MSA, um, which is about 400,000. So we get a lot of people from that Bentonville, the Walmart headquarters, which is about half an hour away. It's really kind of like New York, really. Um, and we are always trying to convince people, you know, look, it's just a half hour drive. If you were in New York, it would be <laughs> it would take you that 45 minutes on the subway, on the subway.
0: yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I assume you, you pull from all of this, the Chicago, the greater Chicago area? Yeah, In terms
9: of audience? Yeah, uh, yeah we have a, a, a very loyal um, audience from the city, but we also pull in a, a lot of people from, from the suburbs as well. And, and you know, while Timeline is, is still a, a small organization, a lot of the people that are our subscribers are, you know, at our theater one night and, and next night at the Goodman or at Steppenwolf or Chicago Shakespeare.
0: It's, a, it's an envious spot. And Jack, is there anything in the New York
10: world that you would like to grab a hold of? Uh, hmm. um, you know, we always want huge audiences, but we found that our audiences really shift with the piece that we're doing or the r- writer we're premiering. It just kind of ebbs and flows. There's a, I'm starting to detect a, a small base of people who are following us from show to show. But we find that it really shifts, just depending on the piece that we're doing. And do, do you all find the internet as a very important
0: way to get your audience these days? Or? Absolutely, and cost-effective. <laughs> yes. Push yeah. that button. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. yeah. no old mail with the, with the stamp on it. Yeah, we
10: still do our, we, we, we do mail stuff. But uh, as far as like the day-to-day you know, ma- marketing of it, um, it's, it's very internet-based.
0: Well, the one thing that the internet can't copy is actual live performances with live actors in yeah. front of a live yes. audience. Mm-hmm. thank God. That's always good. You, you <laughs> use it to get everybody in. But uh, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for this. Um, these programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theater Wing, I'm Ted Chapin, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater. I'm Ted Chapin, chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in The Wing, and thanks for watching.